Hey, Cheers and Queers fans. This very special episode was recorded live at Star Bar in Brooklyn on February 19th in celebration of Audre Lorde's birthday. We hope you'll enjoy, and since we had so much fun, more live events are definitely going to come. Maybe you'll join us next time. The event was co-sponsored by the Audre Lorde Project, also known as ALP, which is a lesbian, gay, bisexual, two-spirit, trans, and gender non-conforming people of color center for community organizing, focusing on the New York City area. In this episode, you'll hear about SOS, the Safe Outside the System Collective, which is one of three collectives within ALP. And it also includes the Trans Justice Collective and the Third Space Healing Collective. To find out more about this incredible organization, visit alp.org, alp.org. Enjoy the show. I lit a sage when you walked in, because I have no idea where you've been, what kind of energy you conjuring. What kind of spells you be casting? I lit a sage when you walked in. Cause I have no idea where you've been. What kind of energy you conjuring? What kind of spells you be casting? All right, ladies, gentlemen, and gender warriors. Welcome to Cheers and Queers. A boozy podcast about black queer life. I'm Kiria. I'm Ishoke. And Ishoke, what are we doing here? Who are we? I don't know. What are we doing here? Who are we? (laughs) (laughs) Not too deep. Not too deep. Oh, sorry. I've been in a weekend of like really deep philosophical questioning about Black Panther. So now (laughs) every question is like, who are we? (laughs) Um, So we're here doing our first ever live show. Which is wild, because when did we start this podcast? Like July? Uh, Like not even, like August? I don't know. Like (laughs) yesterday? We started yesterday. Five minutes ago, actually. We started five minutes ago. So what's a podcast? Um, I don't, I don't know. It's this thing that people do. No. Um, so what's a podcast for us in general is a way that we can like sit down and have conversations with each other and, you know, shoot the shit and also drink things. Um, and talk about queer people. Right. And I think that this podcast specifically was because I was in the world listening to podcasts, you know, like you do. And I was like, oh, there's nothing and no one that is saying to me, like, here are the things that I am. Here are the things that I love. Here are the things that I do in a way that resonated. Um, there was like, there's like a few folks over here who do queer stuff and there's a few so- folks over here who do black stuff and there's some folks over here who talk about like nerdy stuff, but there wasn't a place, like one place, where I could do and get all of those things. So I went to um, an event at Brick and was talking to some of my, like the podcast gods, right? Like some of the people who I love, love, love so much. And um, I said to them, I was like, I'm thinking about maybe doing a thing. And uh, Heaven and Tracy said, we'll just make the of podcast. Of another round, <laughs> just so you know. Heaven and Tracy, <laughs> of another round. Of another round. Yeah. Um, they were like, just make the podcast that you would listen to. And like, either people will like it 
or people will like it because <laughs> somebody somebody wants to hear that thing. Um, and then here we are. That's the story. <laughs> so um, so normally this happens in a studio. Um, it used to happen in Lance's apartment, and then now we moved up in a world, and we have we're on a brick. <laughs> um, but so this is a live recording of what will eventually go on the internet and be streamed out across the world. And there are people who listen from little pockets. I think we had like an Australian listener or something. So people be hearing it, which is cute. Yeah. Um, but this is the first time, but both of us are performers in our life. So we were like, let's bring it to the people for real. Let's get some live people in the room on the recording. That's so much a part of our lives and what we love. So the thing is, is that this is our first time with all of this tech on the stage. <laughs> so bear with us right. and the tech <laughs> as we go along. We are gonna, you know, maybe have to like pause a little bit as we have a guest that's zooming in from North South Carolina, one of the Carolinas, I North believe. Carolina. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks, fans. Um, uh, and hopefully that'll work out great. Um, we're gonna play some drinking games, which is gonna be fun. <laughs> yes. um, we are going to talk about things. Um, we may or may not ask you a question. So yeah, just let's go with the flow together. Are we all cool with that? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to say this, because if I don't say it, then it's going to worry me. Can everybody put their phones on not sounds? Yes. Like, <laughs> Vibrate only. We know you want to be social. You want to tell everybody how cute we look. That's OK. Just no sounds. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Should we check in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's check in. Let's check in. So what's your name, your preferred pronoun, and what is something that is erotic to you, but maybe not necessarily sexual? Uh, name, Ishoke, pronoun, she, her, and ma'am. Um, you guys can't see that that's what I usually do in the studio. <laughs> uh, so now you know. Um, and uh, I really like... Talk, uh, people who know me know this. I love talking. Like, I love talking to people. I love listening to people. I love talking and getting, like, people's, the way that other people think about things and comparing those to the way that I think about things. Mm. And so having, like, a, an honestly really good engaging conversation, not one where, like, everybody agrees necessarily, but one where you're, like, you as who you are is engaged. Mm. Um, I think that's, like, that's it. That's dope. That's kind of my answer, too, because oh. that's why we have a podcast, because we like to talk. <laughs> Literally why we have a podcast. <laughs> but I'll come up with something different. I'll come up with something different. Okay. Oh, no. Um, my name is Kiria, pronouns she, her, and femme, if you're nasty. Ow. Um, and... I I think, you know, let me not be afraid to, as we'll get into, uh, blend the spiritual and the erotic. And for me, on the planet Earth, the most beautiful, spiritual, and I'll dare say erotic thing is the moments in which light, air, and water interact in a special way, whether that be some phenomenal cloud found, um, formation or some kind of oceanic happening with the sunlight, uh, whether that be um, uh, what happens even sometimes on our, our windowsills, like that sense that makes me so happy to be on this planet, to be aware of the ways that our physical um, elements interact, that's a deeply spiritual and erotic experience for me. So you're just gonna be out here 
with these answers like, okay. <laughs> um, so speaking of the erotic, we're here for a very special reason, um, <laughs> other than to hang out with y'all. It is the day after the birthday of a very, very um, important figure in both of our lives and maybe in some of yours. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about this person. So, Audrey Lord, Ashe, Ashe. Ashe. <laughs> defined herself as a black lesbian mother poet. Her work as a writer, teacher, and cultural worker fundamentally changed the landscape of black feminist thought and movement building from the late 70s till her unfortunate early death in uh, 1992 from breast cancer and through her legacy far, far beyond and into the future, I am certain. In Sister Outsider, uh, essays and speeches published in 1984, she shared a groundbreaking essay, Uses of the Erotic or The Erotic as Power, in which she said, there is no difference for me between writing a good poem and moving into the sunlight against the body of a woman I love. The erotic is a measure between our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. It is an internal sense of satisfaction to which one, to which, once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. For having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power and honor and self-respect, we can require no less of ourselves. It is never easy to demand the most from ourselves, from our lives, from our work. To encourage excellence is to go beyond the encouraged mediocrity of our society, is to encourage excellence. But giving into the fear of feeling and working to capacity is a luxury only the unintentional can afford. And the unintentional are those who do not wish to guide their own destinies. And reading these words as a black femme and a Scorpio. Here we go. <laughs> who has been trained to be afraid of the oceans of desire that storm within me. I felt a sense of liberation. Audrey gave me the permission, the mandate, to embrace my true nature, insatiable as I am, as the very source of my power to understand that liberation itself begins and ends with knowing the pleasures of the erotic. And to that, I say, happy birthday, Mama Audrey. We miss you so much. So um, before we continue, we have guests. We're going to talk more about it. Uh, this show is called Cheers and Queers because we always got a drink. So. <laughs> What you drinking? Uh, okay, so I think a theme of the show is that sometimes, most of the time when we record, one of us is hungover. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and so, but today it's me. <laughs> Usually it's not. I mean, I don't know. What are you trying to say? I don't know, that I get my life together faster oh. sometimes. <laughs> Y'all heard it, it was recorded. Or okay. <laughs> that I don't drink before I do the podcast because I know we're going to drink on the podcast. Okay, whatever, this is not getting better. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I did not make that decision this weekend. Um, so I am having a whiskey ginger because that's really what I could do with my life right now. I mean, that's pretty legit as far as drinks go. It's classic. Is it a double or it's just a tall glass? No, I was like, <laughs> I just want a little bit of whiskey and then put some ginger ale Got on it. top of it. Got it, got it. Mostly ginger ale. Great. I am having a house special here at Star Bar Brooklyn called the Kaepernick because I'm feeling black as fuck. Um, it's got Jameson and lemon and some tincture or something in it, I think. I'm really ready for this. It's delicious. You should get one later. So that's our drinks. That's what we drank in. Tip your bartenders. Please. Um, yeah. Are we ready for... I think we're ready. Wow. Okay, great. Alexis Pauline Gums is the author of Spill, Scenes of Black Feminist Fugitivity and M. Archive after the end of the world, which is literally hot off the presses, and is a co-editor of Revolutionary Mothering, Love on the Front Lines. Alexis was the first person to research in, research in Audre Lorde's archival papers at Spelman College, and is the founder of the School of Our Lord, a community school which she hosted in her living room in Durham, North Carolina, and in satellite campuses across the world via the internet. She is also the founder of Brilliance Remastered, an online educational portal for community accountable artists, scholars, and organizers based on Audre principles that the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house and poetry is not a luxury. Why don't you take over and I'll do this. Yes. Uh, not a luxury. Alexis has also performed a site-specific oracle work called the Lord Concordance across, the North, America, across North America and the Caribbean. Alexis has published work about Audre Lorde everywhere, online, in academic anthologies, in journals and magazines, on walls and floors. She's currently finalizing her own book about Audre Lorde and the technology of mothering ourselves. Alexis is the co-founder of Mobile Homecoming, an experiential archive project where she activates with the love of her life, Sangajar, AKA Julia Roxanne Wallace. Over the past year, Alexis has been honored as a finalist for a Lambda Literary Award named on the first ever Bitch 50 list and nominated for State Poet Laureate of North Carolina. Alexis is currently visiting Winston the visiting Winton Chair in Women and Gender Studies at the University of Minnesota and is collaborating with a community of black artists in the Twin Cities to bring her books to life. Wow, can we give it up for Alexis? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start by saying uh, your name, your preferred pronoun, and what is something that is erotic for you, but maybe not necessarily sexual? And you can flip that question however it serves you. Yeah, my name is Alexis Pauline Gums, and my preferred pronouns are she and her and hers. My true preference is you say Alexis or some variation of my name. And something that's erotic for me well, I mean, this is, a, this is a birthday podcast. People who know me know I love birthdays. And I think that actually the joy and pleasure and exuberance of the fact that somebody was born and actually birth itself, because I'm, I'm also a, a birth doula, mm. is an erotic joy in my life that is not necessarily sexual. So I am, I'm all about, I mean, I've been over here on mute, like, happy birthday, Audrey. You know, <laughs> but while I've been listening and singing, 
there's something about the fact that we were all born that I'd never get over and I love it and I'm so grateful for it and I'm always excited to celebrate it. Yes. That's Thank magical. That. Thank you, Alexis. Beautiful. Um, do you want to go ahead and mm-hmm. ask, um, like, what do you do? And- okay. So I love bios, but bios are, you know, oh, wait, what are you drinking? That's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking turmeric. Ginger Tulsi tea. Yes. There is no alcohol involved in this drink. That's okay. <laughs> My mom says best aunt ever because yes. I'm the best aunt. You better claim it, <laughs> own it. <laughs> <laughs> so I love bios. I love like reading people's bios, but also I know having had to write my own bio, there's a billion things in there that like you're like, oh, I guess this is important. Um, so if you had to describe to someone who you are and what you do, what would you say? I just wrote that bio just for y'all. Ah, today. Yeah. It's really good. It's really, <laughs> it's really good. So that's pretty much what I would say. But um, <laughs> I, I write my bio over and over and over again. And sometimes people use them from the internet. But this one was specifically for y'all, specifically today. Specifically, Audrey Lord, celebratory centric. So um, that's definitely the stuff that I would emphasize because I really am grateful to be one of the people, along with you all, who continues to celebrate and lift up Audrey Lord's mm-hmm. work and to see how valuable it is in our communities for sure. So um, that's what I would say. I guess what I would add is that also I'm the best aunt ever. <laughs> and um, one of my major recent life victories is the fact that. So I'm a I'm a workaholic in recovery, and I real. have had this issue with like, you know, people can't necessarily get me. I don't really answer my phone. I don't really talk on the phone with people. I'm just busy working all the time, and that's something that I've consciously been trying to to shift. And I've shifted it so much to the point that when my niece, who's one and a half years old, hears any iPhone ring, she says my name. So that's. <laughs> my victory she's like oh, that's a phone it must be my auntie she loves me she always calls me Aww. so um that's what i would say i would go say cry. that i have <laughs> recently had the honor of just reclaiming the sound of a ringing phone as a reminder of love from for my niece mm. from me that's an important part of my life wow that is the best aunt ever L- like <laughs> wow. awards amazing 12 points to Ravenclaw? Are you a Ravenclaw? What? Are you, wait, no. We should have asked you this question. What Hogwarts house are you in? This is an important question. You know what? Tell us. I don't know. I have never read Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for you know, a podcast to summarize it. Yeah. I, I there is a it. podcast. There's a podcast okay, that later, does it. Later, okay, we're going to talk about it later. later. <laughs> Let me know. But yeah, I have I have no I'm idea. I'm only excited because black girls. It's black girls talking <laughs> about Harry Potter. It's a, it's a um, great podcast. <laughs> okay, so about Audrey. I want to know. <laughs> I do. Um, when did you first get introduced to her work? Um, and more specifically, um, it's been how you know over the journey. Like, what has so from first introduction to where you are now, one of the leading scholars? What has that journey been like for you? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, 
So I was first introduced to Audre Lorde's work when I was in high school. And it was like one of those, I mean, it probably is for so many people with Audre Lorde's work or who, whoever your favorite writers may be. It was just like, oh, that's it. Like, that's it. So like mm. every essay that I had to write for the rest of high school has some Audre Lorde epigraph on it or a James Baldwin epigraph sometimes because they're my favorite. And I was like, I had, you know, my on the wall, my whole window treatment, I, I turned into a quote from Audre Lorde's poem, Cole. And I, I just was like, now I live here. I live inside of this work. Mm. Like, this is where I live. And um, it meant so much. It meant so much to be able to understand that I lived in a world that had been populated with this type of energy, the type of energy that Audre Lorde gave through her life, and also the type, the way that she approached her living as the constant source of poetry and insight and transformation. It just meant everything to me, and I just never stopped being obsessed. So that is the same way I feel right now. Um, it's, it's um, and at the same time, of course, I um, believe in it more all the time. And I feel a commitment at this point. At that point, I was just like, let me survive high school. You know, mm -hmm. let me like be able to be who I am. And Audre Lorde's words gave me, gave me what I needed over and over and over again. And I now am committed that that experience of my life being saved, of my life feeling possible, of transformation and growth and vulnerability feeling possible in a moment because I know I can turn to the world of Audre Lorde for that to be available to everyone and people who may not have had the experience of reading her since they were a teenager or of reading through all her letters and journals obsessively or you know teach, teaching her work over and over again I really do believe that there's always a way for us to be transformed aka saved by the Lord and so <laughs> yes! I, I feel like it's up, it's up to me you know like it's, it's up to me in any moment and y'all you know who are in the audience Totally on a bus, on a, on a train, in a plane, you know, like where, wherever we are. I'm like, I know that there is something that I can bring to you through the Lord. That I think that's that's the way I have to pay it forward because I literally could not imagine the life that I have now, the love that I have for myself, the love that I have in community without the work that she did. Uh, so I'm curious, actually, a follow up question since okay. you have dealt with her. You, you want to jump in? No, no. no. Right. Actually, it was like, and then I was like, wait, no. <laughs> um, since you've been through some of the work that is not published, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. what is, um, I'm sure there was a lot of things that were, you know, uh, it, as we were speaking about bios, you know, often that's the public face. That's what you choose to present. And you probably saw sides of her that were less um, curated and, and cultivated. And I'm wondering if there's anything that surprised you um, in any particular way. You know what's surprising about, about the paper? So folks should go to Spelman College archives um, and check out Audre Lorde's papers. If you are able to be inside an archival space between 9 and 5 in Atlanta, you should. Um, no, it's Yes, that's like an assignment that I'm giving to everyone <laughs> next time you're in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> and um, it's not just a paper archive. So what's what's interesting about it is that I mean, literally, like her prescription snorkel goggles are in there, and like <laughs> That's her thing. hair is in there. Like from when she cut off her locks, like her oh, actual wow. hair is in there. Whoa. And I wasn't necessarily prepared 
for that, you know, I'm like, okay, next box. And I'm going through all the boxes. And I was like, uh, uh, you know, like, <laughs> this is like the actual material wow. brain tentacles of the genius of our century. Yes, brain um, tentacles. So that, that's what, that's something I didn't expect. And it's not really, at least at that time, it was not clearly indicated in the finding aid, but I know they've been developing it over time. And um, yeah, I, I would say archival research is definitely one of my favorite forms of time travel. It, it is it is that way of getting beyond that. I, I like what you said about the bio, even like I got a different relationship to bio because mm-hmm. there's a way that, especially with people who we see as cherished ancestors or somebody who I, I view in the way that I view Audre Lorde, it's like, oh my goodness, sister outsider, like it, it, it must have come down like on a beam of light, you know, <laughs> like or like directly out of the heart as a rainbow from Audre Lorde, you know. <laughs> And when you go in the archives, you see actually all of the struggles and you see all the things that were supposed to happen and didn't happen or that, you know, almost happened or, you know, just all and all those conversations and collaborations between her and other people. And it really has allowed me to give myself more um, generosity as somebody who, you know, has big dreams and who envisions different things and who writes every day. But of course, it's not just like coming out on a platter, you know, like the, there's always that that process. And so one of my favorite things, I could talk about this for a long time, but one of my favorite things was finding a place in Audre Lorde's journals where she writes about her her procrastination, you know, and how she's fully clear. <laughs> Thank you. That, oh you know what I'm gosh. saying? Like when we procrastinate, we are in the company of the Lord. I feel like, we so are validated right now. People, you know. I and, feel so held. <laughs> and I think that that's helpful. That that's that's one of the reasons why I would recommend people to just do archival research on the archives that are available to them because it's important to understand that these great things that have saved our lives were created just by daily practices and with doubt and with support when there was support and without support when there wasn't support. And it's not, um, yeah, it, it allows us to be like, I'm not saying that I'm the same as Audre Lorde, but I'm just saying that if Audre Lorde procrastinates and I procrastinate, I can go ahead and stop beating myself up for it. You know what I'm saying? Word. <laughs> yes. And I just need you to know that, I don't know if you can hear the audience, but at some point you were talking about the joy of archive and someone went, yes. <laughs> so your people exactly. are here. So it's good company. Yeah. Um, do you have a follow-up? Or um, wanna... I just, yeah, I'm, I am, I think that, things hold energy, right? And like, there's a lot to be said around like the energy that is infused into people's things. And so I am also a huge fangirl. So I was thinking, or my follow-up question was about like, you talked, and you touched a little bit on it, was like, what was your experience of being in the presence of these things, right? That um, were infused with this energy of this person who for you and for so many people, is, is on this like goddess level of existence, right? And so what was it, what was it like? What was your experience of, of doing things with those things? Not just the papers and the books, but aspects, right, of this woman's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I do think that objects definitely hold energy. And um, before I visited Audre Lorde's archives, I actually had done a lot of intentional work with 
the objects of my grandmother. And my, my grandmother was the first person in my life who passed away. And I needed to continue my relationship with her. So I did a lot of work with her cameras and with her mirrors and her passports and her glasses and her coin purses, just these particular artifacts that I, I engaged with. And I feel like that opened up a portal because now whenever I'm in archival space and handling the objects of people who have passed, it is, it is like, I feel like I get messages instantly. Like I sat in the archive and the instruction to create the school of our Lord came there. You know, it was like, listen, this is what you need to do. And I, I feel like that absolutely had to do with touching touching the journals you know that she had held or that she had put so much energy into mm. writing or um just going through all those letters and, and seeing the relationships and understanding that with that first of all with that level of access of course because this community accountability to how mm -hmm. can that be shared because it won't all become a book ever right so we do have to have interactive ways to be able to share what that wisdom is um that's that's within her life that's told in different ways beyond her published writing. But also there is something about an access to intuition that I experience in the archive that is that is very sacred. It, it is definitely a place of ancestral communication for me and a sacred space. And I think that there's um, there are ways that for us, for my partner and I creating an experiential archive, we want to bring that sacredness into how we actually interact with the living and how we interact with each other intergenerationally. And I know that I, I learned a lot about what it meant to be open in that way through through my grandmother. Thank you so much, mm. Lydia Gums. I love you forever. Mm. This, is, this is her necklace that I'm wearing, by the way. Um, and also, yeah, for, for Audre Lorde being one of those early experiences of saying, oh, okay, this, this is also a place to receive instruction about how to relate to this legacy and how to continue to be a conduit. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit specifically about that essay that meant so much to me, which is uses of the erotic. Um, and I, yeah, similarly, I keep I keep asking legacy questions. I, that's where I'm at right now <laughs> in my life. So I'm curious about maybe a little bit of like what it meant to you when you first read it and what it means to you now. Okay. Um, I think that the way that we age into our erotic sense is really, um, can be really challenging in our culture, but can be really powerful and beautiful if we're able to access that. That's my personal experience. So I'm curious for you, what it, um, if you have a long view of what it meant to you now, then, and what it might mean to you now. Yeah, I would say that, hmm. I've read it so many times at this point, and I'm like, so when was the first time? <laughs> right. But I, I think that there was certainly an immediate recognition for me of what is she talking about, you know, as the erotic as creative power. I think that honestly, as, you know, someone who did not read Harry Potter, but who was <laughs> absolutely always a nerd, definitely could be seen as a late bloomer sexually, that mm -hmm. I actually knew a lot about creative energy and power as my first experience of the erotic. Mm, okay. And so I was like, oh, yes, yes, I totally, I totally understand this. You know, like th this is something that is, um, is not something that I'm trying to, I'm trying to necessarily reclaim. It's, it's something that felt very true mm -hmm. to me. And then that means that though it has informed what has my self 
designed life as a sexual being been, as a queer person been? And what, what does it mean to have that type of standard of saying like, listen, I've been surrounding myself in the brilliance of black feminists and black queer geniuses for my entire life. <laughs> I know what it feels like to be so fully alive inside of that work. And I'm not willing for my interpersonal relationships to be less than that. You know, like that it actually I need to be learning and growing and opened and transformed in, in just those ways. Not that people gotta be experts, you know, <laughs> but just that, that that's that type of standard is empowering and it is important and it is absolutely not only a way for me to be true to the fact that I love myself and that that is something that I will never take for granted. That is something that I earned and that I worked really hard for mm -hmm. as a, a queer black woman growing up in the South. But also I owe that to my ancestors, mm. right? That like Audre Lorde is also an erotic ancestor mm. and not to say that I'm like, <laughs> that there's like a picture of her in the bedroom near the candles or anything, because it's not I like mean, that. Not I to wouldn't say there would be it. anything wrong with that, but that's just not actually the case. Um, but at the same time, you know, I mean, especially Audre Lorde, you know, for her, to, for her to put out the things that she put out and to be so vulnerable and to say, I'm gonna transform my life experiences, the difficult ones and the exciting and liberating ones into possibilities for future generations to be free, mm. I'm accountable to that. Mm. And if there's an area of my life where I'm not being accountable to that, in including interpersonal relationships, including sex and sexuality, including what I eat, all of it, that's actually not my commitment. My mm. commitment is to really honor what it took to, to give those gifts, you know? So. Um, so I, I think now I can I can articulate that. You know, I don't think I could articulate that when I was a teenager mm. reading her work. And I really had no idea like what was gonna be my sexuality and my standards around that when I first started reading Audre Lorde. And what a gift. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like when Audre Lorde was having to figure that stuff out, right. think about like she was reading Sylvia Plath. That's awful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not that Sylvia Plath's oh, work is awful. No. I'm just saying like I'm just saying like that's a really <laughs> depressing way to control construct your life as a, as a sexual woman. So um, I'm wow. just saying um, that I am part of, and many of us in this room are part of a generation that has not lived in a world without the work of Black feminist literature in it. Right. We yes. have not lived in a world without that. And what does that mean? What does that give us? But also, what, what's the responsibility of that? Yes, I think about that all the time. I think about how what God, I don't I don't I don't know that I can articulate it beautifully but like yeah just what you're saying like we have been and, and you know so often as radicals we spend our time being angry at what is not raw which is great and then you know there's an essay for that <laughs> uses of anger read it and the sister outsider but <laughs> but also um the like the what I can be angry about is exponentially more nuanced than it would have been 20, 30, 40 years ago because of the work of people like Audre Lorde. And I think about that all the time. Just, I, I, am, I am only as, as brilliant as my, as my ancestors. Right. And it's definitely something that um, 
So I'm part of this book club. Yay, book club. Um, it's just because some of them are here. Um, <laughs> and so when we came to see um, you and Adrian and Toshi and folks um, after we went to see Parable of the Sower, and I, I, in that moment, like really thinking about the fact that like we were using the words of this person who had spent so much time creating these worlds, right? And like, we do it, we, I think I get a little lost in it because I'm an academic, I love reading shit, and I'm like, yeah, look at all these books. But I'm like, yo, I can only do this because someone else did the hard part, mm. right? Somebody else like took the, took the things and the feelings and this frustration out of the ether and put it on a page mm. in a way that resonates with my spirit and I get to feel that and then go do stuff with it, right? And I think that I, I would love in my, like, my personal development journey thing to spend more time appreciating that part, right? Appreciating the hard part, because I don't write. Like, I don't, I'm not a writer, hmm. I'm a performer. Um, and so I, am always in awe of the people who can take the thing, right? Take the feeling, take the thought, take the experience and put it and translate it into whatever medium that allows for other people to experience it, right? And I'm always, and I think that for me, when I first started reading, reading Andre Lord, like that was it. I was like, oh, what? like there it is. That thing that I couldn't, I don't, I didn't have it. I didn't have the words to, even begin to try and express it, like here it is, like somebody else. And I think that is something that I often hear when folks talk about, you know, the first time I read it, they're like, I realized I wasn't alone. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and that, that, was, that was so intentional for her. Like that, that was specific. You know, like she talks about the fact that um, Barbara Smith got up at a meeting at the MLA and said, I don't know whether it's possible to be a, a black lesbian woman and survive. Mm. And literally Audre Lorde heard her ask that question and she was like, oh, that means I didn't do my work. You know, like they have to know, the women younger than me have to know that it's at least possible. Not that we all will, you know, but that it's a, at least possible. Mm. And I, I think that's important to acknowledge that that's not just a coincidence of Audre Lorde's self-expression. She actually took on, Zami is often people, people's um, introduction to that that experience with Audre Lorde. And she started, she literally started writing that book out of the, that accountable moment of mm. saying, you know what, you shouldn't have to wonder, you know, I'm right here. Mm. And she felt actually betrayed by Langston Hughes not being out to her, right. you know, and, and right. feeling alone in ways that she was like, I didn't even have to feel that alone, wow. but I did. And my decision is I'm gonna, I'm gonna be as multiply out you know, as I possibly can be about who I am. So that those those folks who share an aspect of that at least don't have to wonder if it's possible. Now they still got to figure out how they're going to do it in their mm -hmm. life and in their time and in that moment, and that is still difficult work. But at least they don't have to wonder whether it's possible or not. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. And a perfect moment, I think, to to close on on Audre Lorde's vision for all of us to know it's possible to survive. Um, can you tell the peoples where to find you and your work? Oh, yeah, yeah. Alexis Pauline at everything. <laughs> like on the 
on Twitter and on Instagram. And Yo, your tweets have my fire. email address at gmail and also.com. <laughs> well, just all, all the things. Alexis Pauline is, is the easiest way to find me. And please do. Please do. Oh, and I have a book coming out. Wait. Hey, yeah. My publisher would be so mad if they were like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. It's called M Archive After Ooh. the End of the World. Nice title. And, um, it means so much to me that it literally like got to the warehouses on Audrey Lord's birthday weekend. Yes. I'm like, um, so I want I, I want y'all to I want y'all to know I, I want to know what you think, but it's it's the first I think it's actually the first book that's ever been marketed as black feminist theory, poetry, and science fiction all at the same time. So I'm really oh, proud of it. Okay. I'm really interested in what y'all are gonna do with it that's um, gonna be my suggestion for book club yep <laughs> hey hey i would love that so thank y'all so much for inviting me to be part of this and for celebrating audrey lord in the first place and just for creating the podcast of your dreams it's it's beautiful <laughs> to be able to be part of this thank you so much Thanks, alexis. You, alexis have a great night oh, night y'all <laughs> Um, so now we'd like to, um, so, okay, let me ask this. Who's feeling moved? Anyone? Yes. <laughs> feeling inspired. Anyone here remembering the first time they read Audre Lord? Yeah, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. um, anyone thinking, I need to read some more Audre Lord in my life? Yeah, okay, right. great, great, great. <laughs> Go buy a book, that great. Too. Um, and also, you may or may not know that as I mentioned in the, in, uh, in the beginning, though she passed early in 1992, her legacy continues in a number of ways through the archive and, and projects that Alexis is working on, and also right here in Brooklyn. Ba -ba -ba -ba! <laughs> you may or may not know about a little organization called the Audrey Lord Project. And to tell you a little bit more about that, I want to invite Kirby up to the stage. Can you come on up? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> so how do you want this to go? Just talk about ALP? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> if we have questions, we'll ask them. Okay. So my name is Kirby. That's really my name. My dad really named me Kirby. <laughs> my PGPs are she, her, they. Um, what I find erotic is us gathering as beautiful people, sitting down together yes. in community. Um, I am the new Safe Outside the System coordinator of Lore Project, and I've been doing it for the past four months. Hey. 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 So I don't know if I can say I'm new still, because yes. it's four months. <laughs> it's fine. And I like officially have healthcare, so I don't think it's like new anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Real. <laughs> um, Safe Outside the System was created as a response to hate crime and police brutality in Brooklyn of queer, gender non-conforming, and trans people um, in central Brooklyn. It was like a massive series of our people being beat up, dragged up, and there was nothing that people felt that they could do about it. How can you go to the police as a queer person of color, as a black person of color, and say, I was beat up, when that same institution is also homophobic and transphobic? Mm -hmm. And so 
that space was created to deal with that. And it's a space that we're still dealing with that in the sense of we're starting from the beginning now doing foundational work of what our values are, who we are, what we actually want to do. How do we really build this response network? And part of the work that we're doing in our campaign plan is going into households. Can you provide a space for somebody who got beat up, or a plate, or a metric card, or something to drink? Going to businesses where we train them on safety. Can you not call the police on this person? Um, going into grassroots organizations and saying, we want to train you also, but what other resources can you give to our people? And it's very important because we live under capitalism. We live under the state that tells us that their institutions are correct, but we know that they're wrong because they don't serve us. And people say that the system is broken. It's working just fine, just not for us as oppressed people. And one of the things that I love about Audre Lorde was that, that she was a socialist. She didn't believe in the system at all. She always operated outside of it. So that's why SOS, safe outside the system, is necessary. We try to be safe outside this bullshit ass system. <laughs> um, and also with SOS that I find extraordinary is that we're intergenerational. We're folks from all walks of life. And it's not only about being in community, but growing and organizing in community. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that, that we all are organizers, that there's work that we all do to empower each other. Like, even if you're not on the front lines, like, marches can be traumatizing people. I love being at a march and yelling and screaming. It's a hard day. And you get to be like, no justice, no, and like your face is terrible in the pictures. I love that. <laughs> but there's some people, there's some people, they're gonna do, a podcast or a webinar. There's some people that's gonna draw our struggles. There's some people that's gonna write poetry about our struggles. There's some people, y'all have a great social media following, you need to post about Audre Lorde Project. We all have our roles. Um, and I think with Save Outside the System, we incorporate all those things as we organize. And then understanding that our people can organize. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing. Like, there's a perversion about our community that all we do is like fuck around with each other. Which is okay, that's beautiful. I was like, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, no, I just say it because, you know, when people think about Stonewall, they think about like white folks. Um, and, they, and they don't think about who were the first bodies on the line who literally fucked these cops up. All okay. the way up, you know? And I think that's like the beautiful thing about the RG Lore Project is that this space of people of color who are part of the community, who are fighting every day, because we fight outside every day to survive, but we're doing it here in a way that we're building our community. Um, and that is possible. Like, it's not abstract. Like, people are doing amazing stuff everywhere. Um, and so, the other thing I wanted everyone to do is take out your cell phone. Take it out, I know y'all been on it. Come on now, I've been on it too, it's fine. Ooh. <laughs> I want y'all to go on alp.org. Right? And there's a button right when you log on that thing that says donate now. Okay. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> tell me why, Kirby. The state uses every apparatus against us to divide us and destroy us. We are numbers, right? In order for us to organize, yes, we need bodies. Please let me know if you want to be part of SOS. I got the timeline when we meet and everything. But if you can donate a dollar, hopefully more, but if you could donate a dollar, that's paper that can be used to make a flyer. 
If you could donate $5, that's food that we can bring to our office to feed people who come into our meetings. If you could donate $10, that's material that we can buy to do a banner. Oh, yes, there you go. See, look at you doing this one. Okay, Samar. <laughs> you coming into the picture or? Right. <laughs> you know. Oh, Samar is another SOS member. Um, so please, like, donate what you can. All of it's needed. We need all of it. And it's, you know, we use our labor force to promote this system. That's what they use us for in whatever way that we do. We need to bring it back into our communities as much as we can. And that means finances. And if you can't donate right now, you have cash, we'll take that too. Yeah, and also, know where it goes. It goes to continue organizing. I'm not taking it to get to Arizona. <laughs> I'm not taking it to buy some chips. We're bringing it right back to the Brooklyn office to keep working. Um, and I think that's very important to acknowledge. I also want to acknowledge the four trans women that have been murdered since January. I want to acknowledge the four black lesbians and their children that have been murdered since January. Imagine if they had a space to go to yeah. right. where they could really be safe for being who they are. And that's the whole point of SOS. So thank you. Thank you, Kirby. Thank you, Kirby. So there it is. Audrey wrote the, the words, the, the, the visionary thought plan for how we might think about surviving. The blueprint, and if the you will. Audrey Lord project is putting that into tactical action today the and every day. If you so will. please consider donating. So, right now, we're going to take a very quick, very quick drink refill break because we're going to come back and play a drinking game. So, you need a full glass. All right, thank you. Um, so now we're going to do something we've never done before on Cheers and Queers. <laughs> uh, first, Cheers and Queers first. Uh, we are going to do a drinking game. So yes. first, quick roll call. Who out here um, identifies as a blurred? Got any blurreds in the house? <laughs> black nerds, black nerds. Where you at? Where you at? Any Trekkies? Any Trekkies in the building? Yes. All right, all right, all right. So... <laughs> We thought erotic. We thought blurty. We thought erotic fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, what you don't know is that this is what I spend a lot of my like reading. If I'm not reading for school or for book club, I'm reading fan fiction. So if you like catch me somewhere, that's what I'm doing. She's like, it's an economics textbook, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is uh, straight out of the Trekkie-verse. It is O-G-T-O-S. The original series. Yeah, whatever. Um, if you don't know, um, I, I am wearing my Next Generation pin, but they weren't the, the fanfics weren't doing it for me, so I had to go OG on this. Uh, so this is called Implicitly. <laughs> By J. Lee G. Um, and here's the rules. Y'all ready for the rules? There are several words in this piece that are just erotic fanfiction gold. And as I read, I'm going to give a dramatic reenactment. Oh, nice some water and stuff. Um, I will tell you the words now. And then uh, Ishoke here is going to be the regulator. So I'm going to read, and she's going to call out <laughs> after I read the magic word. She's going to say, drink, and y'all will take a sip. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so y'all ready for the words? You can write them down if you want to, or you can just listen and absorb them. So here we go. There's a few of them because it's that good. Okay. <laughs> so, touching, fever, gasp, empathetic. Oh, sorry, no, no. Empathic, empathic, empathic. Yeah, yeah. Um, soulmate. Fever, what are you, yeah. Um, ached and burned. Pon far. That's yes! for you. That's for the Czechies out there. far. Sorry. Um, and yes. 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 <laughs> um, so a little setup for you, a little setup for you. So um, original Star Trek, there is the captain. Anyone know his name? Captain yes, Kirk, and then so there his better. his science officer is and first officer Spock. Science and first officer is Spock, right? And everybody knows that they're in love, right? They're in love. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> if you listen to the last episode, you will hear me wax poetic about, about their, their love. It's true. <laughs> um, I so uh, there's lots of fanfic out there, like for the last sixty years. <laughs> um, this one is very lesbianic, I think actually. <laughs> if I say so myself. So here's some lesbianic fan fiction about Captain Kirk. Oh, wait, Kirk. wait, wait. It's important to know that Vulcans, for this fanfic, Vulcans right. are touch telepaths. Yes. Um, I was like, they're not going to get why that's an important word. <laughs> <laughs> Vulcans are touch telepaths. Um, they can read your mind if they touch you. Right. Yeah. And so, like, Vulcans generally are very... Yeah, okay, let me... Tone down the nerd. Yeah, I literally don't was. Just, don't go. Just come back out. Come back out. Okay. So like, they don't. They level. are reserved and don't touch other people yeah. for many reasons. Ever. But one of the reasons is their telepathic yeah. uh, abilities. And the other thing you need to know is that they are celibate, except that every seven years. I don't think that's. I just. Okay, whatever. They get seized by. <laughs> <laughs> By uh, the, by, the by fires it. of bonfire. <laughs> it's, it's an evolutionary thing that forces them to have to mate or die. But only with someone that they actually like. It can't just be a rando. Yeah. So, so that's so. This is okay. That's all you need to know. That's, that's more than enough. We can okay. talk more about this. Later. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So here's the, just the, this isn't even the story yet. This is just the heading. So this is an excerpt. This is like in the middle of this long, long, long uh, <laughs> fan fiction. This is a short. And it's, so it's called Implicitly. <laughs> Sorry. It had always been Spock from the moment they met. It had been Spock. Ponfar. <laughs> okay, so the words again. Touching, fever. Uh, gasp, empathic, soulmate, ached and burned, ponfar, touched, yes. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> the chess games stopped. So did the touching. Drink! And the stairs. The only time Jim saw Spock was on the bridge. And even though he saw him so little, it still didn't escape him that Spock was acting erratic. On the bridge, there was heavy breathing, 
obvious struggles to maintain composure and eventually actual emotional outbursts from Spock, which stunned Chekhov so much that the poor kid looked like he was about to wet his pants each and every time. Jim would have been concerned, overly so, if he wasn't experiencing his own breakdown. He wondered, in an increasingly rare moment of clarity, if he and Spock had caught the same bug, that maybe Bones might have been right the day they'd first met, and space was disease and danger. The sleeplessness came soon, after the lack of concentration and irritableness, followed by fever. Drink! and chills soon after that. By the time he stopped denying that this was something he could control and showed up at Bone's door begging for a sedative, Jim felt about ready to jump out of his skin. When the sedative, vitamins, and various strands of flu vaccinations, a number of other hyposprays that Bones took way too much delight in showing him did not work, Jim's overtaxed mind could only come to one conclusion. Spock had somehow infected them both with a disease for which there was no cure. Well, if Jim was going to die, he was taking Spock with him. <laughs> Jim felt no hesitation in overriding his first officer's door, nor did he feel particularly guilty in evading Spock's privacy. They were so past the point of privacy, it wasn't even funny. <laughs> Whatever this thing was between them, slowly driving them both insane, it would end tonight. The first thing that hit Jim upon entering Spock's roof was room was the scent of incense, so strong that it made him gasp. Drink! <laughs> the second was the flicker of a candle flame in an otherwise dark room. And the third was that his first officer sat on the floor eyeing him with a sort of desperation that was so foreign on Spock's face that Jim wondered idly if he had entered the wrong room. His anger dissipated when he met Spock's eyes and his own, and Jim could only sigh. Feeling his shoulders slump, he gazed at the man who affected him so harshly and pretty much had from the beginning. The question of what was going on was at the tip of his tongue when the buzzing in Jim's mind started again, louder and more persistent this time, and Jim could only whimper and look at Spock in despair. We have formed an empathic Drink! connection, Spock announced softly, jolting them with the sound of his voice piercing the stillness. There, was too many questions to there were too many questions to ask in response to that announcement and not enough time before Jim's head exploded to ask them all, and so he settled with, and how did we do that? And he and hoped it would be enough. Our minds are compatible, Spock answered, sweat appearing in droplets on his forehead. <laughs> Jim did notice that the temperature of the room seemed to be steadily rising. Was this, was that them or the room? How could an empathic drink link accomplish an increase in temperature <laughs> we're gonna make it y'all what does that mean jim inquired starting to wheeze in the heavy air it means we're well matched 
Spock elaborated, his own breath hitching. It's rare for a Vulcan to discover a match as suitable as the one we share. So rare that only in the ancient dialect is there a word to describe it. If Vulcan, if a Vulcan is unmated, then a replacement could unconsciously be found without the will or consent of either party. I believe that is what's happening here. My intended, the one chosen for me in childhood, died when my planet did, and my Katra sought you as a mate. I did not understand why until my older counterpart explained it to me. You are my Tehillah. I believe you humans would call it a soulmate. Drink! <laughs> and that is why you were chosen and our link formed without the necessity of a meld. Okay, we're gonna switch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you hated me when we first met, Jim stated incredulously, shocked even through his dizziness, even through the shakes and the heat and the feeling of ants crawling on his skin that were together starting to drive him mad. How could we be soulmates? Drink! When your initial feeling upon meeting me was one of disgust, was the fever? Drink! <laughs> making him hear things? Was it that? There was no way he could be hearing what he thought he did. Disgust at your actions, undoubtedly. You cheated on my test and then blatantly opposed my authority on the Enterprise. But not at you. Never at you, Spock clarified, noticeably starting to shake himself. My first thought upon seeing you was that you were aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> my second thought, annoyance in a highly illogical sense, that you could elicit such emotional responses in me when I had worked diligently throughout my youth to suppress that aspect of my genealogy. It wasn't you I hated, but your natural ability to evoke emotion in me. It was something Jim had needed to hear without realizing it, and he felt a weight lifted off of him at Spock's words. Still though, Jim ached. Drink. And he burned. Drink. And he couldn't make sense of any of this. Not really, but he did know that he wanted Spock to hold him. Wanted him to touch him. Drink. And look at him as he had before, holy and all-consuming. He wanted this fever. Drink. To end before it killed them all. So why is our empathetic? Empathic, drink. Sorry. Empathic, <laughs> empathic link doing this to us. Why all the physical symptoms, Jim asked, his equilibrium finally giving way and causing him to fall to his hands and knees. In an instant, Spock was at his side, arms coming around him instinctively, anchoring him. Where Spock touched him, his skin prickled and seared, and the fever Drink. escalated to a higher point. Being close to Spock, just made him want so badly. Good God, the room was spinning and lust like Jim had never known before, not even as a teenager discovering for the first time just what wonderful things his hand could accomplish, engulfed his body like a tidal wave. <laughs> because the link is so powerful, we need to complete the bond. 
Oh, sorry, my bad. Because the link is so powerful, the need to complete the bond has resulted in Ponfire. Drink. Spock explained, voice pained and barely above a whisper. We must mate to end this. (laughs) Then let's do it, Jim proclaimed. (laughs) He couldn't make sense as any of this. Didn't understand soulmates, drink, or Thalia's, or Katra's, but he did know he wanted Spock and wouldn't mind mating with him. In fact, he wanted it right fucking now. If we do this, we will be forever linked. We will be married in the eyes of my people and in the eyes of the Federation. If we do this, our empath... <laughs> Why can't I say this word? Empathic Drink. connection will only strengthen. Can you give that to me, Jim? Can you bind yourself to me and only me for the rest of your life? Jim was surprised at Spock's restraint and surprised that Spock had asked this of him when he knew that Spock's experience with Ponfar, drink, was just as intense. (laughs) Too many drinks. (laughs) If not more so than his own. He was also touched, drink. (laughs) I was getting to it. He was touched by it. Jim wasn't opposed to marriage in the general sense, never had been. It always been something that he thought he might want to experience once he settled down and became more established in his career. And he realized suddenly that while he had been the one who could evoke emotions in Spock, sometimes, without even trying, so too could Spock do the same in him. It had always been Spock. From the moment they met, it had been Spock. The Vulcan captured his attention in a way no other ever had. Yes, Jim answered. Drink. And Spock bore him gently to the floor. End of excerpt. (laughs) So now y'all know what I'd spend my Saturday mornings doing. This, I've read this fiction. It's very good. It's so good. There's no like fade to black. Like it just, Ponfar is like real and describes. There was a lot of this that was like very much oral sex. I was like, what? Not on the first live event. (laughs) I don't want to scare them away. (laughs) Next time. When I find, I'm going to find a good, somebody's going to write a good Philippa, Mirrorverse Philippa and Mirrorverse um, Captain Killy. We're also looking for some Dora Milaje. Oh uh, yeah, if you know some Dora Milaje, if you know some Dora Milaje fic, some send it our way. If you find some in the dark corners of Reddit or whatever, or you look, if you write it, I will send it to some people who can make that a thing. Um, But yeah, thank you (laughs) for participating. Yes, I hope you're as drunk as I am. Um, so that's Cheers and Queers, y'all. <laughs> so it's over, but it ain't over. A couple right. of things that you can still do. Obviously, you can get more drinks. We have merch. You can get it. You can sign up on the Audre Lord Project mailing list and give a donation. And you can dance. We're going to fold up these chairs. DJ Samo on the ones and twos. Can I hold it down? 
And we're just going to hang out. So hang the if out, y'all. It's been so great spending time with y'all the last hey, few hours. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, my God. Come check out our merch table. A toast to the groom. To the groom. To the groom. To the groom. To the bride. To the bride. To the bride. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. Wait, wait, wait. Two, two. Wait, we didn't do the toast. We didn't do a toast. Wait, hold the phone. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. Two, 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 two. In honor of what we've covered tonight, to our radical survival, to our continued discovery and investment in our own erotic, and to... Hey, hey, I'm a Scorpio to rising. Scorpios and blurs everywhere. I love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Mulligans. <laughs> Can we get what? through Pisces season first? <laughs> so you can use the hashtag cheers and queers. So that's cheers, the letter N, queers, and the hashtag pod in on Twitter, um, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. We now have a Twitter account. Same uh, letters. Cheers. The letter N queers. Um, Join the conversation. Tell your friends. uh, Come and talk to us. Tell us about the cuties you met. Tell us what you're drinking. Come get involved. If you also want to talk to us, you can leave us a cute review on iTunes. Come on with the purple app. Give us your comments. Give us how much you love us. And that way, other people who want to find this podcast can look us up. And don't just slide into the DMs, as cute as that is, and tell us one-on-one how great we are. We love Although that. Although we love the DMs. We do love that. But also tell everybody else. So <laughs> get on the iTunes app or the iTunes store and tell everyone why they should listen to the show. You can find the magical musicians who provided the music in this episode on the internet. So we've got B. Studwell, Boom Scat, and Abel Shafira. Uh, you can find B at bsteadwell.com. You can find Boomscat at B-O-O-M-S-C-A-T, boomscat.com. And you can find Abel in the world. Yes, she's out there. But you should definitely look up all our musicians because they're dope. And we're a member of the Gifted Sounds Network. This episode was produced by Ishoke and myself, Kiria, with support from Lance John and edited by Giselle Hernandez. Hi, Giselle. Thanks, guys. Bye. I can handle it if you go there, baby, with me. Can you handle it if I go there, baby, with you? We gon' set it off, we gon' tear it up, baby, can you handle it?